One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, good morning, church. Uh, what a wonderful time of worship. I love that chorus that we were singing about the love of God. And I am reminded of Paul's words uh, in the book of Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And uh, I know we've been separated from uh, one another. Oftentimes we're separated perhaps from friends or family and maybe from other things in life. But I'm glad to tell you today that nothing can separate you from the love of God. So I hope you are experiencing the love of God wherever you're at, that your heart is just enlarged by the love of God today. And I want to take a moment just to welcome all of you, uh, those of you who are guests today. We are so glad that you're taking the time to join us from wherever you're at today, whether you are at home, whether you're listening in your car, uh, whether you're joining us live on Sunday or maybe listening during the week. We are thrilled that you are with us today. And we've got some great things coming up in the life of our community. And I would love to keep you in the loop of what's happening and share with you some opportunities to get connected. And all you have to do is go to our website at ocparkdistrict.com and fill out the connections card there and we will reach out to you and share with you some things that are coming up. Also, uh, hello, good morning to all of our church family. Uh, so good to be with you. And uh, today as we are gathering in house church, gathering online, uh, gathering wherever we are at, and uh, we are looking forward to being together in person next Sunday for our Friendsgiving celebration. So I hope that you will join us uh, next Sunday at the beautiful Bramble Tree Estate. So mark your calendar, set a reminder, make a plan, and RSVP on our website. Again, if you go to the events page of our website, uh, you can sign up. Let us know what food you're going to bring. We're going to have a great time of food, eating together, fellowship. There's plenty of space uh, for kids to run around, for people to spread out. So it's going to be a great time together happening next Sunday. Well, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me today and turn to the book of Acts or scroll to the book of Acts if you're on an app. Uh, and we're going to continue our series that we have been in this fall through the book of Acts. We're calling it The Movement. And I really think this is an appropriate study for the season that we're in because in 2020, church has looked different than it ever has before. And although we are looking forward to uh, being back together in person and uh, taking steps forward that we'll be sharing with you in the weeks ahead, uh, this is a great opportunity for us to really explore what is church, what's essential, what's not essential, and uh, there's no better place to look than the book of Acts. And so we're going to pick back up in the book of Acts chapter 2 today. And uh, last week I talked to you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming on the people gathered in the upper room and totally transforming their lives. And the Bible says this in uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Uh, the scripture picks up uh, and it says this, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all 
as anyone had need. The scripture goes on to talk about some of their practices as a community. But when I read that passage of scripture, there is something about it that is so compelling, is so beautiful, that just draws me in, that says, you know, I want to be a part of a church like that. And it really is, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's a magnetic community. Um, the, the passage opens with 3,000 are added to the church in a day. I mean, tremendous progress and advancement. And that passage ends in verse 47 that we didn't read by saying that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is a, an incredible account about the progress and the advancement of the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we read this passage and we go, wow, we want to see that happen. We want to see thousands of people added to the church. We want to see people coming into the church daily that, that are being saved, lives transformed, progress being made. And I don't know if you have ever been a part of a church community or uh, really a part of any other community that has experienced that sort of momentum, that sort of just rapid advancement. There is something that is exciting in the atmosphere of that kind of community. We love that kind of advancement. But I, I want to point out to you today something that I believe is critical for us to understand, and that is that between those two accounts of thousands being added to the church and people being added to the church daily really is a phrase that I believe everything else hangs on. And it is this phrase in verse 42, they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. Another translation says it this way, they devoted themselves. In other words, they were a committed community. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, becoming a committed community, because oftentimes we read about the church and we love the advancement, but we don't like the commitment. And that's really true in all of life. We probably all have dreams and plans and goals in life, and we have dreams of advancement, but oftentimes we don't like the commitment. But I want to encourage you today that everything God has for you advances through commitment, through being devoted, through continuing steadfastly. Why? Because ultimately the kingdom of God continues through commitment because commitment is an expression of love. And the Bible tells us that Jesus demonstrated his love through being committed to us. In fact, Luke uses the same words that we've just read in Acts. He uses the same words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, by saying that Jesus, as he was approaching Jerusalem, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That was ultimately the destination of his death. He, he, he knew that by going to Jerusalem, he was going to be facing uh, pain and suffering. He would be abandoned by his, uh, his disciples and, and it would be a, a moment of pain. But it says he steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. The author of Hebrews speaks of that by saying that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. In other words, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to the cross. And he saw the cross 
but he looked to the joy that was beyond the cross. He, he saw the pain, but he didn't just look at the pain. He looked through the pain to see the prize of you and I. And, and I want to ask you that today in life, whatever pain perhaps you may be facing in this moment, what the pain that we are facing, even as a church community, uh, can, you, can you see through the pain to the prize? Can you, as Jesus headed to the cross, knowing that it was painful and, and would not feel good, but there, there was joy on the other side of that. And everything that God has for us individually, for our families, for our church, it, it, the, the prize of his blessing always requires the pain of commitment. The quality of our life will be determined by our ability to press through pain to the prize. The reality is that this is counter to the culture that we live in. The culture says, if it feels good, do it. The culture uh, wires us uh, to avoid pain and pursue pleasure. Avoid what feels, what, what uh, maybe hurts in the moment and live for pleasure. In fact, really over the last hundred years, or the last century, uh, our culture has been architected around what has often been called a culture of consumerism. I've shared with you before that this is not an accidental thing. In fact, uh, history tells us that uh, there has been intentionality to wire us to live pursuing pleasure, to live chasing what feels good in the moment. Uh, there was a, a story, an, a historical story, that after World War II, uh, the nation had been booming because of the war. Uh, people had been in work and, uh, you know, mobilizing the war effort, and they realized, uh, the government and the uh, business leaders realized, uh, after World War II, they had to have something else to feed the economy. And so they hired a man named Edward Bernays. And uh, Edward Bernays became known as the father of public relations, but he was also the nephew of Sigmund Freud. I know I'm getting psychological on you today, but just pay attention for a second. I'm going somewhere. Uh, Sigmund Freud, if you know of Sigmund Freud, he developed uh, theories of psychoanalysis and basically the idea that all of our problems in life come down to some sort of repressed uh, desire. And so uh, his nephew, Edward Bernays, took those uh, ideas and applied it to business and to marketing. And so he began to direct business leaders rather than just appealing uh, their efforts of advertisement towards a legitimate need, they began to um, direct their efforts not just to fulfilling a need, but to make you happy. In other words, it wasn't just you need a car to get you where you need to go. It was now the car became the symbol of freedom. It's no longer you just need a suit because you need clothes to wear. It now became you need a suit because it will give you identity. It will, it, it will fulfill what is missing in your life. It will make you happy. If you just get this, it will make you happy. And that is the culture we live in today. Black Friday is coming up, and I know it's going to be different this year than it is in the past, but pay attention to the advertisements. It's, it's pulling at something in our hearts that it's not just the product, but it's the feeling that we are wanting to get. 
And the same is true now in church. Really, over the last 20 or 30 years, these same principles of a consumer mentality has been applied to church uh, in an attempt, oftentimes well-intentioned, to get people into the church uh, rather than really just preaching the gospel of Jesus and allowing that to transform people's hearts. We've said, okay, what do people want? How can we make churches feel good as possible? And I'm all for feeling good. But as a, a, in an attempt to do that, we've said things like, okay, well, how short can we make our services? And um, can we, um, you know, let's have teaching, but let's make sure it's interesting and funny, but don't convict anybody. Let's not actually talk about the real issues of our life. Let's have worship that is exciting and energetic, but uh, don't actually challenge people to participate. Let them just stand back and observe what is happening. Uh, we have developed... Um, you know, fun kids programs. And I, I love that. I think we should do it. But at the expense of oftentimes teaching families what the Bible says about parenting, uh, there is the mentality that the church should always be open, always have a menu of activities, but should never actually require anything from people to be involved in it. And I know you may think I am sounding like uh, a jaded pastor today. And I, I want to tell you, I like those things just as much as everybody else does. But the real problem with this consumer mentality is not what it does to the church, but what it does to you, what it does to people, because it creates this mentality that we live by what feels good. And it's not that those things are bad, that it's bad to feel good. It's that it, those things are inadequate. If we live according to our feelings and we live uh, chasing pleasure, we will never experience the life that God has for us. We know that in every area of life. Physically, we know that in our bodies. I love ice cream, but if I eat ice cream all the time, ice cream will not produce anything good in my life. And the gospel reminds us that eternal life, the life that God wants every one of us to experience is not found through chasing pleasure, but through embracing pain of dying to ourselves, just as Jesus did, that we could experience life to the full. I believe in this season that we're in, although it's painful, although it's difficult, I believe that God is calling us to uh, not run from the pain, but to embrace the pain so that we could become a committed community, that we would devote ourselves as the early church did, that we would see the advancement that God wants to bring through uh, making the commitment that God is calling us to. And I, I want you to notice that it says they devoted themselves. God didn't devote them. They devoted themselves. Sometimes we ask God to do things that he's called us to do. God won't devote you. You have to devote yourself. And so I want to give you today out of this scripture, uh, five things that I believe we as a church need to be devoted to if we're going to become a committed community. And I know today this may, th this is kind of a grow you up message. <laughs> I know even hearing it, you may think, man, this kind of sounds hard. Um, just stay with me uh, because I believe these are things that will grow us up into everything that God has called us to be. And so I want to look again at that passage in Acts chapter 
2, verse 42, it says, it gives us five things that they were committed to. The Bible says, first of all, that they committed or they continued steadfastly in the first thing it says is the apostles' doctrine. Uh, the first thing I think we need to be committed to is we, are, we need to be committed to truth. The apostles' doctrine is the, the word of God, the Bible. It, it was that apostles' doctrine that was taught in the churches that really becomes the uh, the, the foundation of the New Testament today. And I believe that if we are going to be, if we're going to experience what God has for us, if we're going to be the committed community that God is calling us to be, we've got to be committed to truth. You know, we live in a world that is filled with chaos and confusion, but I'm glad to tell you today that uh, the same Word of God that brought life and order into creation is speaking to us today through the Word of God. And so as we live in this chaotic and this confusing time when the world is saying we don't even know what to believe, I believe more than ever we need to build our life on eternal truth rather than evolving opinions. We need to build our life on what the Bible says rather than, you know, what perhaps a political platform or even our favorite news channel or feed says online. We need to build our life on the Word of God. That's what it means to live by conviction. And the world we live in tells us avoid pain, live for pleasure, don't live by conviction, live by convenience. And I, I believe that nothing good happens in life when we live out of what is just convenient and easy and cheap. So I, I want to encourage you with this today, that we are a committed community and we are committed to truth. As a, as a church community, we're committed to what the Bible says. We're committed to what the Bible says about money. We're committed to what the Bible says about sex. We're committed to what the Bible says about marriage and family and work and government and the, the unborn and the environment. We're committed to everything that the Bible says. Why? Because we are committed to truth. And, and when I don't know it, I will read it. And when I don't understand it, I will study it. And when I forget it, I will memorize it. And when I don't believe it, I will receive it by faith. And when my life doesn't line up with it, I will not bend the truth to match my life. I will bend my life to match the truth because I am committed. We are committed to truth. That's why it's so important that every week we're, we are uh, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week we are filling our hearts with the word of God. Why? Because we are committed to truth. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. The second thing it says is that they continued in fellowship. They continued in fellowship. I, I want to tell you today that we are committed to relationships. That word fellowship in the original language is a word koinonia from the Greek that, to be honest, we don't really have a direct translation into the English language. It's a relationship, but it's not just a, a friendship. It's a spiritual quality of relationship. It is this togetherness that we have been talking about. They continued in fellowship. And I believe that we need to be committed to relationships because we serve a relational God. God, the one who could exist eternally all by himself chose not to. 
And as human beings, we are made in the image of God. We are made for relationships. The first thing in the Bible that it says that was not good was not sin. It was actually isolation. It it was for man to be alone. And so if we are going to live the life that God has for us, we've got to be committed to relationships. And here's what I want you to understand is that relationships require investment. Sometimes we lack the relationships that we long for because we have failed to invest into those relationships. That's like me going to the bank and asking for a withdrawal when I've not made a deposit. And the currency of relationships is time. In other words, if you want the riches of relationships, you have to invest time. That's what we're doing is we're gathering weekly. That's what we're doing next Sunday is we're gathering for a Friendsgiving celebration. We're not doing it because we have spare time. We're doing it because we are putting our time where it matters the most in relationships. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. In other words, I'm not just going to worship by myself. I want to be with other people. I want to be in community. I want relationships. You know, the fact is, as we think about investing in relationships, the greatest investment of your life is in your relationships. On your deathbed, uh, you won't ask them to bring you your resume of accomplishments. You won't ask them to bring the balance sheet of your assets. You will ask them to bring your relationships. I will ask them to bring you. Why? Because we are invested in relationship. You are the greatest investment of my life. My family is the greatest investment of my life. You have no greater investment in than in relationships. How are your investments for 2020? Are you investing in what matters the most through relationships? They continued in fellowship. The third thing I want you to see is the Bible says that they continued steadfastly or they devoted themselves. Number three, uh, it says to breaking of bread, breaking of bread. Now, that's far more than just, um, you know, having a loaf of bread and breaking it or even sitting at a table together. It's actually they were committed to hospitality. The third thing I want you to see that if we're going to be a committed community, if we're going to experience the advancement that God has for us, through making the commitment that he's calling from us, we need to be committed to hospitality, committed to opening our homes, opening our lives to other people. You know, when you open your home, when you open your table to other people, you are, you are declaring the gospel. You are demonstrating the gospel that God opened up his home, heaven, to you and I. He opened his table to people that were not in his family. And, and that's why the history tells us that it was through hospitality that the early church changed the world. They changed the Roman Empire. In fact, it was this hospitality that became uh, the, the foundation really for uh, what has become healthcare and hospitals. Hospitals come from hospitality because under the Roman Empire, there was no care for the needy. There was no care for the hungry. There was no care for the weak. They prized themselves on strength and they thought to be around the weak would make you weak. 
But the gospel tells us that the greatest source of strength, the, the strongest person who ever was, Jesus, uh, he became weak so that we could receive his life. And every time you sit at the table and you break bread, you eat a meal with a neighbor, with a family member, with a, a, a brother or sister from the church, you're demonstrating the gospel. Even as you eat food physically, it is a reminder that your life is dependent upon the life of another. Just as you're receiving energy and life into your body from another, you have received energy and life from God. As I said, the early church that we are studying, they were a church marked by hospitality. They welcomed people in. They opened their home, even at a moment when there was sickness that was ravaging their community. In fact, Howard Haygard from Yale said this, that when epidemics broke out, on the, uh, broke out, the Romans often fled and left the sick to die without care. The way that the church advanced is when everybody else ran, when everybody else closed their doors, the church opened their doors. Uh, when everybody else was Building bigger walls, the church got a bigger table. They welcomed people in. And I want to encourage you in this time, don't abandon hospitality. Don't abandon opening your life. When the world is dark as it is right now, we need to leave the lights on and the door open. We need to welcome other people in because we are demonstrating that God through Jesus Christ, has opened the door to you and I. He has welcomed us in. He has saved us a seat at the table. He's brought us into his family. We who were not his family have been brought into his family. And so I want to encourage you, even in this moment, that you know so many people are drawing back, and even just with their family. I want to tell you, we are family. We are family. And through Jesus, God has brought people who were not his family into his family. Let's not draw back. Let's open up. We can have wisdom, and, but I believe more than wisdom. I believe wisdom, or just as we have wisdom, wisdom will also give us faith for what matters the most, that we will see the opportunity to win the world through hospitality. That's why we're starting a foster care community. You know, some of the families, some of you in our church, God has put it on your heart to open your home, not just uh, for a, a meal or for an event, but to open your home and welcome in children who were not born into your family. What a beautiful picture of what God has done to us. And, and so there are families in our church that have been called by God to do that and, and not Every one of you may be called by God to do that, but we can all help support those families. And so we are forming foster care communities to support those families, to bring meals. Uh, that's what we've been doing with our serve days. We've been going to foster care families and supporting them as they practice hospitality. Why? Because we are committed to hospitality. We are committed to demonstrating the gospel through opening our homes, opening our lives to others. The fourth thing I want you to see is the Bible says that they were not only committed to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread, but the fourth thing is they were committed to prayers. They were committed to prayers. Notice in that passage, it's plural. And I believe that if we are going to be a community that experiences everything God has for us, we have to be committed to praying. We've got to be committed to prayer. Notice 
They weren't just praying when they had a problem. They weren't just praying in the upper room. That wasn't the final prayer meeting for the church. They prayed then. But as the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church advanced, they prayed again and again. Why? Because ultimately prayer is to our faith what our muscles are to our body. Uh, you know, uh, prayer, in prayer, we are exercising uh, our spiritual muscles so that our faith grows stronger. It's like, it's like running exercises your legs. I don't know about you, but I don't like to run. But I do it because it makes me stronger. It, it, it carries me. And when we pray, we are building our faith. And, you know, it's so easy to allow anxiety and fear and perhaps even depression to rule your life. But I believe that when we live a life of prayer, when we make the practice of prayer a part of our lives, we are building our faith. It's like running. It just makes us stronger. We become the kind of person that uh, doesn't have to just get a lighter load, but we can carry a heavier load because we have grown stronger in our faith. Uh, when you pray, again, it's like the building your leg muscles. It, it, prayer will carry you. Uh, prayer will protect you when you are attacked. A prayer will provide for you when you're in need. And so I want to encourage you, don't draw back from prayer. We need to be committed to praying. Maybe you'd say, well, I don't really like praying. Well, that's like me saying, I don't really like running. You know the cure for not liking to run? Running. The only way to get better at running is running. The only way to get stronger is exercising. The only way to to become a person of greater faith so that you can stand up under the load of life is through prayer. And so I want to encourage you and I want to just declare over our church that we are committed to prayer. Prayer is a priority for us as a church because prayer is strengthening our spirit to receive everything that God has for us. So prayer should be our first priority, not our last response. Uh, don't, don't leave prayer to the last thing in your life. Make prayer your first priority, just like you have to in everything else in life. You have to put on your schedule what matters the most. As we, when we have, as a church have a prayer meeting, that ought to be something that is a priority to every single one of us because we want to build our faith so that we can experience everything that God has for us. They were committed to prayer. The fifth and final thing that I want you to see is this. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to uh, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. And then the Bible goes on to say this in verse 45, that they sold their possessions and divided them among all as anyone had need. The fifth thing that I want you to see, if we're going to live a life of commitment, if we're going to live a life that presses through the pain to receive the prize, we've got to live a life of generosity. What a, what a wonderful picture of generosity. They sold what they had and they divided it as anyone had need. Now notice they weren't just throwing it out. They weren't distributing it equally. It wasn't communism. They were giving it to those who were in need. Why? Because the gospel had come into their heart so beautifully, so effectively that it transformed the way they viewed life. It changed them from being a consumer to becoming a contributor. 
Because when my life has been filled by God, I don't, I no longer have to look to money and experiences and possessions to fill my life. You, you see, the gospel kills the good news of what Jesus has done. His sacrificial gift for us kills the spirit of consumerism. I don't have to consume. I can now be a contributor. I can live a life of generosity. And the early church was a generous community. In fact, uh, one historian that I read said that the early church, these early followers of Jesus, the first Jesus movement became so generous, they stood out from the world around them. In Roman culture, Roman Greco culture uh, of immorality, people would share their bed with anyone. They would sleep with any, anyone, but they wouldn't give money to anyone. They, they were, uh, they were um, sexually promiscuous, but financially restrained. And when the gospel came into their lives, they no longer shared their bed with everyone and their money with no one. They, they began to share their money with everyone and their bed with no one. They became a generous community. They went from becoming a consumer to becoming a contributor. Now, I want to encourage us in this moment. I know the, the world that we are in, there's a lot of uncertainty and there's fear and there can be anxiety. But I, I want to encourage you, when you give, you are releasing the stranglehold of fear and anxiety over your life. You are releasing that to God. And so I want to encourage you, and I want to again declare over our community that we are a generous community. We believe that God has called us to be a generous community. Even this week, we had the opportunity as a church, and sometimes we don't share everything uh, that we do as a, a church because it's not always appropriate, but we were able to help support um, funeral expenses for a family in the community that wasn't even a part of our church. But we just felt that God had called us to do that. God had called us to be generous. And that was you contributing towards that as a part of the church community. And so I believe God's calling us, if we're going to be a committed community that looks through the pain to see the prize, I believe we need to be people that are committed to truth. In a world that is filled with confusion, we are committed to truth. In a world that is divided, we are committed to relationships. In a world that's closing its doors and pulling down its blinds, we are committed to hospitality. In a world that is filled with fear, we will be strengthened in our faith through prayer. And in a world that is turning towards itself in self-centeredness, we will turn out towards the world through generosity. We won't live just to embrace the momentary pleasure, but we will embrace the pain so that we can experience the life that God has for us, life to the full. So the question I want to ask you today as I prepare to close is, have you committed yourself? Have you devoted yourself? Again, I want to remind you that oftentimes we want God to do for us what He's called us to do. There wasn't anyone else that devoted them. They devoted themselves. And that begins, I believe, by first making a commitment to Jesus Christ, to receiving His life into my life. And so I want to ask you just to bow your heads or maybe join me for just a moment in prayer. If, you, if you'd like to, you can bow your head. But I want to give us an opportunity right now just to take a, a moment to evaluate our own hearts. Are you living as a consumer? 
Are you living just for pleasure, even perhaps in your spiritual life? Maybe you set out the beginning of the year as we shared the Jesus life plan and you wanted to commit to these disciplines of spiritual growth, but now you find yourself drawing back. You find yourself falling into the trap of living for perpetual uh, self-satisfaction. Maybe in your heart again right now, you need to recommit, redevote yourself to living not as a consumer, but to living a committed life, a life that lives for eternity, a life that matters for eternity. And so, Father, I pray for every person here today. God, I pray for every person that's hearing this message And Lord, we pray that even as you have sacrificed your life and through that sacrifice, Lord, you have experienced the joy, Lord, of uh, redeeming humanity. God, I pray that we would look through the pain to see the prize. Father, for those that maybe are facing pain today, God, maybe in job uh, problems, Lord, I pray that they would look through the pain to see the prize that they would be faithful in the moment that they're in. God, for those that are perhaps in their relationships, in family, Lord, maybe in marriage, it's a painful season. God, I pray that they would would not draw back, God. I, I pray that our marriages, Lord, would be strengthened in commitment, Father, that we wouldn't just live for what feels good, but we would live for what is good, Father. Lord, I pray that we as a community, even in this moment, Father, where there's so much uncertainty and uh, there can be so much self-centeredness, God, I pray that we would once again devote ourselves to living the Jesus life together, life and life to the full. I thank you for it, Lord, today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. I want to encourage you just to take some time uh, to pray about this, to think about this, to evaluate, maybe take those five Uh, items that that church was committed to and talk about that now in a house church gathering or uh, journal it and meditate on it and see if there's an area of your life that you are not living a life of commitment. I believe that God wants to strengthen our commitment so that we can have the advancement that he has called us to. So God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget tonight, we're going to be having another Holy Spirit night. Jen and I are going to be opening our home. We'd love for you to join us uh, six o'clock at our house. And also next Sunday, Friendsgiving celebration at Bramble Tree Estate. Don't forget to RSVP online and we'll look forward to seeing you then.